All right, viewers, um, this is a special interview out of all the interviews that I've done. Uh, so welcome to the John Torelli Classic Bodybuilding Podcast. It is my pleasure to interview Tony Doherty, who is a promoter. He's also an IFBB official. We're going to ask some really important questions to clear a lot of the air that possibly is out there and, and confusion. But before we do that, I, I want to let everybody understand that Tony is a heartfelt bodybuilder. And I'm going to ask him how he got started in bodybuilding. Um, and, uh, you know, Tony, you competed. I'm not yes. sure how you did in your shows. Um, I, I want to know about that, a little bit about your family and business, and then we're going to get into possibly some questions that I've never asked people before. Um, so if we can start with that, because I know you competed. Right? Well, John, I'm an open book. You can ask me absolutely anything. I, um, so, uh, yeah, I competed um, from when I was, I guess, you know, 18 or 19 through till early, mid-20s. Um, and the opportunity came about to start promoting the sport. And, you know, I, I absolutely loved the sport. And I was in a country town called uh, Bendigo in, in central Victoria. And, you know, I wanted to get out. And I wanted to, to be a promoter, a bodybuilder, a gym owner from when I was, I was really young. And how I got into it, I, I was watching TV when I was a kid, maybe 14 or approaching 14. And I saw Arnold on TV promoting his book called The Education of a Bodybuilder. And I'm like, I've got to have that book. And it was just this, you know, um, light bulb moment, I guess. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I've, I've um, gone about that ever since. I've worked with for myself since I was, I don't know, 18 or 19 um, around bodybuilding. It's given me everything I've got. So I was competing. Um, I was starting to do really well, you know. I'd got to a fairly uh, good level competing, I think, under 90s. Um, I've been to a couple of nationals and done a heap of, you know, like smaller country shows. Started off when I was a junior and did some of a, um, some shows in Melbourne and then um, went to Sydney, started doing some IFBB shows there. But then as I started promoting, I could just see that there would be a conflict of interest doing both. Right. Because if, if I did well and I won, everyone would be like, it's read. Yeah. And if I didn't do well, they go, what's this guy know about bodybuilding kind of win a, win a show? And then um, I stopped competing and actually then trained, uh, I think, better and harder and smarter. And I trained with Sonny Schmidt, who was a dear friend of mine for three Olympias and trained full-time with him um, like a professional bodybuilder. And I actually started looking um, more like a professional bodybuilder after I'd stopped competing and, and training with him. I got up to, I think, about... 114 or 115 uh, kilograms oh, with wow. with essentially no skin. Um, it was very very lean and and uh, you know um, and that was that. So and and I've never ever really stopped training since since I was a kid. I love it. So Tony, the last time we did this was exactly 40 years ago. Now you correct me if I'm wrong. That'd be a bit right, yeah. We did a seminar together. It was 1983. You were looking for a guest poser, and you found me, and I'm not sure if I was your first guest poser. Um, I don't know if you had done any seminars like we did before that, so I'm, I'm not really I've actually got a picture of that. You know, we both look like kids, but I'll find a picture and send it to you. But what it was, I booked you for a guest posing, Um and you couldn't travel. I think you had like an ingrown hair or something. Well, that was the excuse anyway, uh, maybe something else, but you couldn't come. And um, I remember they sent down um, uh, another guy to do the guest posing who wasn't at your level, but um, you said, well, we owe you one. And then you came down separately, I, I don't know, it was you know, it, weeks or months later, just to do a seminar with me in my gym in Bendigo. And, yeah, it would have been about 18 or 19. Yeah, yeah, so it was about 40 years ago. You're right. Okay, that's that's interesting. That really is interesting because what, what I remember was you and I sitting on a stage. I did come down to guest pose. I'm not sure if I guest posed that day or it was just a seminar. 
but I, I did guest post for you a couple of different times. Yes, you did. Correct. Um, the 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 one about the ingrown hair or whatever it was. I I vaguely remember something like that. I didn't think it was you, so I'm not a hundred percent sure what that was. But I have a photo of us sitting on stage, and you looked like a baby, and I looked a little bit older than you. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know, here we are, forty years later, doing all this again. So. It, yeah. it is very interesting. Now, Tony, the thing I want to bust into immediately, because I, I don't think I want to, I'm not sure how much of these questions I want to ask you. It's the IFBB, okay? Okay. So it's the IFBB. There was a bust up. The the the, the Federation separated, and yeah. people are still yeah. not 100% sure what that was about. When you say IFBB, people are, like, they don't realise that there's two and what the difference is, what, you know. Well, I think, I think John, um, uh, to address that, I think they do know now. I think initially yeah. there was some confusion. Um, and I guess if you're coming into the sport, you wouldn't know the difference between IFB, IFB Pro League. So basically, um, you know, the IFB Amateurs uh, was originally, you know, uh, Ben Weeder was the president of both the Amateurs and the Pros. And when he passed, uh, Rafael Santoya from Spain, became the president of the Amateur Federation and continued, you know, that work um, with the world championships and this Olympic dream and all this kind of thing. And in the US, they had the NPC, which was the feeder into the IFB Pro League, and it become untenable that the amateur um, arm was coming in trying to run big shows like at the Amateur Olympia, for example, and in, in my situation with the, the Arnold Classic that, Instead of me running my own amateur show, they'd send you know the officials in from the old IFBB, um, which I think was uh, hindering our progress. Um, certainly with me, and I know at the Olympia level in the US. So come to loggerheads as things do. And Jim Mannion, who was the president of the um, IFBB Pro League and also the NPC in the US, so what about we just go our own way? And I'll just appoint someone in each country to run. You know, the NPC worldwide, which is the only way to feed into the IFBB Pro League and the IFBB Amateur League, well, they can just go back, particularly to Europe, and uh, and do what they do. So, therefore, when people say the IFBB, you know, they're referring to the Amateur League, which is still going, um, not as strong as they were, but, you know, they're still doing shows, um, particularly in Europe. And then the IFBB Pro League, um, which is the only way to the Olympia, and this is where the distinction is that if you win a pro card with the old IFB, it's not a pro league card. You can't do our shows. You can't get to the Olympia. Um, you can do what's called their elite division, which hasn't really taken off on a pro level. I think they're still doing okay with the amateurs, but um, I couldn't name even one of their pros. Um, so it hasn't really worked for them. But the IFB pro league has gone bananas. Like we're in – most countries of the world now um, running all the qualifying events for the pro cards and for the Olympia qualifications and that sort of thing. And under the guidance of, of Jim Mannion, it's, it's gone from strength to strength to strength. And in my opinion, it's the best thing that ever happened to bodybuilding. You know, we, we took it on and said, we're going to make bodybuilding great again. You know, there's always, you know, when I was working with the old IFBB and, and, you know, when, when Paul Graham gave me my, my start in bodybuilding, I'm forever grateful. But over the years, I could see a lot of things I thought could be done better. But you have to – you can't just say, oh, this could be done better and that could be done better because I wasn't the guy. So when I got my shot to be the guy, I said, right, now all this stuff I've been planning and thinking and talking about for years, I'm actually going to do that and make our sport absolutely fantastic and bigger and better and more professional start on time and finish on time and have direct um, uh, guidelines as to how people can become professional and travel and see the world and, and get to the Olympia stage because that's everyone's goal, really, in professional bodybuilding. So we've been doing that for the last few years. Um, it was going really great. And then, of course, the pandemic hit the whole world. And I think yeah. both federations suffered enormously. Um, our expansion at that stage was you couldn't believe uh, the growth of the Pro League worldwide. And then when the world kind of reopened, um, we went back at it and haven't stopped since. And 
you know, we're, we're getting record numbers in all of our shows, uh, all the state qualifiers, the, the pro qualifiers, everything we're doing. It's, it's never been bigger in the history of Australian bodybuilding and the competitors are loving what we're doing. Therefore, you know, we've got a huge um, share of the market and, uh, you know, I don't really want to talk about what the others are doing because it's none of my business. No, but Tony, Tony, the one thing I wanted to ask you is now you guys will let your competitors compete everywhere. Nobody's getting banned. They can come and go as they like. And um, also, once we were speaking, and I'm not even sure you know, if I should mention this on camera, you felt that you were doing such a good job, anything else that other people are doing is actually possibly even damaging the sport. Um, we never got into that, and I'm not uh, sure if I understood you correctly, but when when you look at the way you're travelling and the way some of the other federations are travelling, you, you know, I would tend to think that you were probably correct. What would you say about that? Um, it's, it's, I guess it's a good example is if you're a chef and you produce crappy food, eventually people are not going to eat it. And if you produce fantastic food, people are going to line up. So we must be making good food, John, if we can use that analogy. But um, things are, are, are going great. You know, we, we said that we would um, do what we're going to do. And one of the things was with the old um, regime, if you like, worldwide, they wouldn't let anyone, for example, compete in the uh, INBA or the ICN. Or if someone went and did a NABA show, um, they'd be banned from competing in an IFB show. And immediately, you know, I remember having this conversation with Jim Mannion saying, well, this is not right because they're amateurs. We can't control what amateurs do. They can do whatever the hell they like. Why don't we just concentrate on having the best shows with the real pathway to the Olympia and the Pro League? And you know, if people want to go that way, they'll come to us. And if they want to go test the water somewhere else and do the old IFBB or the never whatever, we just don't care. Like, I don't follow We haven't got to look up and see who's doing what. And really, how do you... How do you police that? For example, um, I remember in the old regime, someone would do a NABBA show and they'd get banned. Someone else would do a NABBA show, not tell anyone, and then go on to win a championship and not be penalised. I'm like, well, see, we don't have access to their books, so how the fuck can you can you possibly imagine that this is okay to do? And, uh, you know, Jim has been, as I said, over and over, a fantastic leader. And once you turn pro, that's a different thing. It's like the NRL or the AFL in football. You can't have a contract with an AFL team and then go off and play play somewhere else on alternate weekends because you've got your shot. Okay, right, so to the, get pros, to... the pros then, it's a different kettle Absolutely. together. If a Absolutely. pro is competing with your federation and they step somewhere else, what's going to happen to them? Well, they tear up their pro card. They've got to qualify all over again. Oh, okay. They've said goodbye. Okay. So they have an exclusive arrangement with the IFBB Pro League. Yep. And they, they can't be a part of something else because they've got this, this pro card, which is okay. what everyone strives at. And if you work for years to get your pro card, you're not going to fuck it up by going and doing a, a B or a C grade show somewhere else. You know, um, and when you're an amateur, and you can be a bit of a trophy hunter, you know, and so I won the, the Mr. Australia or the Mr. whatever. Um, in several different leagues, no one gives a fuck. But once you turn pro, well, then you're, you're climbing that ladder of, of real success um, where all the money is and where all the titles are. Well, Tony, for me, <clears throat> the part that I see that I, if I was still competing, what I would do, because you, because you hold so many contests in the United States, if it was me, I'd probably travel to Los Angeles stay there for four weeks, and if I was an amateur who just got my pro card, I know that I'd probably be able to do one or two shows a week in the United States and, you know, get my experience doing that. In, in fact, um, you, you know, it's an idea that I've uh, discussed with some other people, and they're now realising that. So a couple of them have come over. Uh, some of them are trophy hunters, and... I'm not sure that they took everything that I said seriously, but what what do you think about that, Tony? Because you guys, I don't do... think about it, John. Look, look. I, I think if you're an amateur, look. I'll use the football example again. If you're a footballer, and in yeah, Melbourne we're crazy about AFL football, and Sydney it's more the NRL. But if you've got a shot to play in the big league, well, why would you want to play in the minor league? 
Like it's stupid. Unless you're just genetically challenged and you know you could never do any good at a high level, then maybe you're better off just to, you know, to be a big fish in a small pond. But if you're really serious about going somewhere in bodybuilding, there's only one way to go and everyone knows it. And as you said, if you get that pro card, we want to see people compete and to use the pro card. So, for example, in uh, April, uh, just recently, we had our pro qualifier and a guy from Melbourne called Mike Halusi won his pro card. So he started, he did the state show in Melbourne and also in Perth the same weekend, right before Easter. Then he went right through and won the pro qualifier, got his open men's pro card. He went straight over to the U.S., um, he was in Pittsburgh with me at the Pittsburgh Pro where I was doing interviews. And he actually got an opportunity to get up and guest post with all the Olympians because he was in the right place at the right time and we wanted to do something to promote the New York Pro the following week. So he went into the New York Pro. Then he travelled all the way across to California, across the US, and did the Cali Pro. Then he stayed for another week and went all the way back to the East Coast and did the Toronto Pro in Canada. So he did three pro shows in three weeks you know, got t- top 10 in all of them, top six in one of them, and and made his mark in the pro league. Everyone knows who he is now. And that's how you establish yourself. You don't get your pro card and sit on your hands for the next two years, go, oh, I've got to put on some size. I'm not sure, you know, which show I should do. Fuck that. Just go. Do it. You know, get noticed. Be your best. Um, I mean, you can't go over there fat or half-arsed. And with, same with some of the, for example, the bikini girls of, of, of bypassed doing a, a show here when I've had a pro show on and gone over the States a little out of shape, thinking, oh, I just want to go over there and get noticed. No, no, no. Go over there in shape and you will get noticed. You don't want to get noticed of being, you know, the, the fatty that's in the, lo- the last call up in any, any category. So, I mean, I think that's, that's how it is. And, you know, with the, the internet and all the social media, most of the people coming into the sport, they get it, you know. Some of the people have been around, like, as long as you, you still think, does everybody understand what's going on here? Yes, they do, John. Yeah, we're, we're getting hundreds and hundreds of people in our qualifying events and in our, our pro qualifiers. So you have to do any state show, right, to go through and do the pro qualifier. So under the old regime, you could only do your home state. So if you had a wedding on or a sickness or an illness and you missed a state show, you couldn't then go from, say, Melbourne to Sydney and say, well, I'll just do that for a qualifier. You were just wiped out immediately. So what I did when we, we took over, I said, it doesn't matter which state show. You can do all of them. You can do one of them. It doesn't matter. Do one state show. That qualifies you to do the pro qualifier, and off we go. So we're getting you know crazy numbers, and we're getting more and more competitors who do more than their home state now, You know, where they'll go and do one in Perth or one in Adelaide and one in Melbourne, and then they all come together for the, the pro qualifier, which you were at this year. It was great to see you up at Queensland for my pro qualifier, and you saw the quality of the athletes and the quality of the posing and, and all the new categories that you kind of hadn't understood until then. And you can see how competitive it is in Australia. In fact, um, one of the big coaches, uh, Justin Compton, who, who was a, 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 a competitor in my Arnold's here and he's since yes. retired become a coach, he put a post up the other day saying, um, have a look at this guy that was in the Brisbane show, I think was in the top six, he goes, um, this is in a regional show, and this guy is so good, and he was happy to make the top top six, which shows how um, advanced bodybuilding is in Australia. And he said, I think it's a, the highest level of competition anywhere in the world right now is Australia. And I was like, so that's Justin, like the cool- Justin Compton actually did say that the level yeah. of competition in Australia is, is yep. probably even stronger than what it is in the US. Yeah, and, and per, per head of capita, Absolutely. You know, and I went to a couple of amateur shows while I was over there, and I think um, our, our athletes would have um, uh, either won or placed highly in every single category. I really think we're producing some amazing and incredible athletes at our shows. Um, I mean, you can't compare to the US. They've got 300 something million people. They've got shows every weekend, you know, and some of the shows are incredible, but some of them are thin, you know. So I think. Um, Australian bodybuilding is in, in a great place, and I'm, I'm really proud of everyone that's a part of our organisation. You, know, you know, I might be the uh, captain of the ship right now, but you know, we've got a great team of, of promoters. I've got a, a promotional partner in each state. Um, I've got a whole team. 
And I guess the difference is we, we treated this like a, a business. So we have full-time employees. We have a social media coordinator. We have someone who does all the entries and forms online and graphic design and all this sort of thing. Whereas I think before it was almost like a, a like a hobby part-time kind of business where yep. they didn't have employees or structure or an office. You know, we've got dozens of people working like full-time around Australia to make this work. And I'm investing everything back into that to make it um, take it to another level. And to me, there's no limit as to how, how big we can make it. So, Tony, with yourself, I'm, I'm just wondering, you once told me you don't really set goals, you're an opportunist. And I'm not sure if I understood that correctly because that means you're scouring to see how what you can do, how you can improve on everything. I, you know, everybody can start to see how much you love doing this and you love the sport. So it is coming from the heart. Um, would I be correct in, in saying that, Tony? This is more than just a business. Yeah, that's, that's oh, this is my life, John. Bodybuilding has given me everything I've got. and I love it. I live it every day. You know, I come to my gym seven days a week, even if it's my meant to be my day off. I still come here just to hang out. It's not just bodybuilding. It's a whole industry that I love. <clears throat> but, um, I, you know, of course I have goals and I have – I set my sights really, really high. Like, excuse me, always had a goal to promote Arnold Classic and to be Arnold's partner. But that's not a goal you can just lock in and go, well, that has to happen. You've got to look along the way for your opportunities and your breaks, and you've got to be ready that when that opportunity comes, that you've already lived it and planned it and you're ready to step straight up because otherwise that opportunity will pass you by because you're not ready and someone else, right, will get to the spot. And if, if you look at, say, actors, and someone might have the right look for a film and they go to do a casting and they go, well, if only you had gone to acting school and been ready, you were made for this part, but you can't put two words together. Where someone else is working hard in the background, going to acting school, learning their lines, learning how to speak, learning how to portray characters and this and that, and then um, one day they get their opportunity and they get their shot and they're well ready for it. Well, that was me, right? Not in acting, but in, in business that I, I practice, I live this over and over in my mind for years and even decades. I'm thinking, you know what, I think this is going to play out this way and I'm going to be ready. And if it doesn't, you know, I'll learn some great lessons along the way. So I think, yes, I'm an opportunist, but I'm, I'm also someone who's very um, flexible in my thinking. So you can you set a goal, you know, and I had this um, with my seminars, my Relentless Momentum seminars, you know, one of the topics was called F-Y-5-Y-P, which is fuck your five-year plan. Because, you know, these people say, in five years, I'm going to do this. In five years, I'm going to do that. And then, for example, a pandemic hits and the whole world gets turned upside down. So you have to learn, I think, to have a goal, but also to live in the moment, to have your eyes open to every opportunity and to train yourself to be ready for the shit that you're dreaming about. That is great. This this goes kind of deep, but, you know, for example, when – when I was a kid and I went to the first Arnold Classic with Sonny in like 1991 or something. And I remember going there and I got to meet Jim Lorimer and I said, have you got time for a question? He said, one question. I said, when do you start working on next year's event? He said, Monday morning. And I, I knew that I wanted to do this. Like as much as I wanted to breathe, I wanted to be promote pro bodybuilding, which I started doing and then eventually an expo, which I started doing. But to do it in the likeness of the Arnold Classic <clears throat> and to become mature enough that I could work for a whole year like I've seen these guys do. And it took me a while to get all that lined up. But, you know, um, when Arnold started to take his Arnold Classic worldwide, like when he finished being governor in 2011, he said, I'm going to take this to every continent. I worked every day for the next five years just in case – I was the guy that they chose to call. So, so, so that when they called, for when they years, called, what did you do? What, what, well, I, I'd already been doing the Australian Pro, so then I turned it into FedEx, which was an expo in the likeness of the Arnold Classic. I did it always one or two weeks after the Arnold Classic in Columbus. All the best guys would come out here. I made my Australian Pro arguably, well, it was the third longest running pro show in the world at that point after the Olympia and the Arnold. Columbus, because, you know, the Ironman had finished, you know, the, the, all those long-running shows had disappeared. 
And I just stuck at it. And I thought, well, I'll start making it more and more like an expo and I'll get other sports and powerlifting and strongman, all these other things lined up um, like they did in Columbus so that when Arnold gets to the point where he's going to look at Australia and goes, well, who am I going to pick to be my partner out there that I would be the only logical choice? So it didn't happen by accident because if I hadn't have been ready, maybe he would have called and I would oh, give me another year to, to learn the expo game. So instead I thought ahead. I thought, what if I am going to get that shot? I better be fucking ready. So I, I worked, you know, from 2011 to 2015. That's all I did was set myself up waiting for that shot so that, you know, if I got that call, that casting, if you like, um, I'd be just the only choice. And that's how exactly how it played out. No, that's fantastic, mate. I, you know, this is, this is just great to hear and, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people to understand the mindset that you, you know that you have and and how things are done by a successful person. Um, well, I think the other thing, John, with that mindset, and if I could impart this on people out there that you know these big dreams, just don't be a dick about it and think, oh, you know, I'll be happy when I get that call, or I'll be happy when I win that show, or I'll be happy when I get that part or get that shot. Just be happy along the way. Like if you enjoy the process. You know, the great bodybuilders didn't love uh, competing. They loved training. They loved every workout. They embraced the diet. They leaned into it and said, you know what, I'm going to test myself. I'm going to see how far I can push this. I'm never going to miss a day in the gym. And when I do my bodybuilding seminars, I always say to people, listen, don't be an arsehole and say, I have to win. I have to win because I train so hard. Everyone fucking trains hard. What you have to do if you're going to do a show is when you stand up on stage, you have to be able to say to yourself, I didn't cheat one bit. I never had one single grain of rice that I shouldn't have had. I never missed one step on the stepper. I never put the barbell down one rep early at all. And then you stand there, right, at peace, right, with a clear mind and a clear heart. You go, you know what, I did everything I can. Now I'm not a judge and I'm not going to hate the other competitors if they're better, but I know that I didn't you know, cheat myself by being weak. And if you apply that principle to business and to life and to your competitions and everything else, then you have to enjoy the moment. You have to enjoy the pain and the sweat and the bad days. You can't just be an arsehole and go, oh, you know, I'm just happy when I have a good day. Fuck that. You gotta be you gotta man, you just gotta go, you know what? I'm grateful I get to do this shit every day. And and uh, I think if you have that mindset, you're just unbreakable. Tony, um, this is all really good to hear because I, I want people to hear this, and it, it's it's also helping me understand <laughs> how you do things, which I love. Tony, the one thing I want to go back to uh, in bodybuilding: who inspired you to even get started? Was was there a person? Was there, you know, somebody that lit your fire? Um, it was just when I was I said when I was fourteen, I saw Arnold on TV, and I'd never seen a human like that. It wasn't just his muscles; it was his charisma. <clears throat> the way he spoke, the way he handled himself, the way he did his media. I'm like, you know what? Is that possible? I remember I said to my dad, what's that? He's a bodybuilder. I'm like, what are those things sticking out of his arm? Is it their veins? I'm like, <clears throat> did anyone look like that? He goes, well, I guess, you know, if you apply yourself and train and learn about it. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to do anything else after that. And then I was in a little country town. I joined a, a gym and, and uh, there was a couple of guys there that were, into bodybuilding that had followed the greats of bodybuilding and they become my training partners. And they could see I was going to go a lot further than they had, a lot further than this country town. They could see this drive that this crazy kid had. So they, uh, you know, one of them taught me about training. One helped me with my nutrition and, 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 and one helped me understand the history of bodybuilding. He told me about all the great bodybuilders from the fifties <clears throat> and the sixties and to understand and respect the history of the sport and to become that historian. And then, you know, I gravitated towards guys that, that I idolised and I looked up to, like yourself. You and Sammy Ionidas back in the day were two guys that I would call up to ask about my training or my diet or, you know, how should I go about this? So I always, um, when I admired and, and looked up to someone, I thought, well, it can't hurt to ask to try and get to know this person and get their number and call them up. And there was no internet back then. And, you know, and I had idols in bodybuilding, always ones that I could kind of relate to. 
um, with my body type, you know. So, um, for example, Barry DeMay was one of my idols because I had a very similar kind of leg structure and height and this and that sort of thing. And over the years, you know, I got to meet him and become friends. And 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 I got to tell him, listen, you, you helped me when I was this little country kid, you know. And I remember when I first um, met you, you were very kind and generous with your advice because you could see this kid with this burning desire and you go, you know what, not going to hurt to share some of the knowledge I've got along the way. So it's always been like that. And then eventually Arnold, you know, become a business partner. And I've probably learned more from, from him than, than anyone about business and life and media and using what I've got um, for the greater good. Well, what a better teacher than, than Arnold. Hey, but Tony, mm-hmm. um, what I want to ask you is I've, I've even heard you talk about training. And just getting away from the promotion, the gym owner thing, like how – you know, I, I may have helped you in the beginning, but then along the way I started listening to a lot of the stuff that you used to talk about and you've been doing videos for years. I remember I even copied this one exercise that actually overdeveloped my deltoids and it was – you were doing short-range high pulls. So you took – a weightlifting exercise, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. turned it into a bodybuilding exercise. Then I put my own touches on it because you were doing it on a machine. I, I ended up um, using that exercise and I still use it. Mate, when I used it, my shoulders got too big. You know, so you have a lot of valuable information to give. And what I wanted to know from you is, you know, what are your rep ranges, the tempo, um, the loads that you use, all that sort of stuff. I, I really would like for you to explain that. I may know more than the average person, but I, I, I want you to talk about it and let people hear because some of the stuff well, that you did was quite... Well, firstly, th- thanks for that, John. Yeah. It's quite a compliment coming from you, but I always um, looked really deep into good form, most of all. That I see people training with bad form, and I think it's an accident waiting to happen. And when I was young, and I didn't have anyone to teach me. I learned the hard way, you know, trying to bench too heavy, doing ego lifts and short uh, uh, rep ranges and all this sort of thing. And it never kind of worked out. And then I guess training with Sonny for those Olympias, we taught each other a lot. He taught me a lot about good form. And I probably taught him a lot about intensity because he used to have, like to have a bit of a rest between sets. So I've always been this uh, uh, guy that, well, you know, I got into the best shape of my life when I turned 50, funny enough. Um, and by then I'd worked out that you can't afford to get injured. And um, full range of motion, pure form, mind in the muscle. When I had all those TV shows and all that video stuff I did over the years, it was always about this mind-muscle connection. But if you're training chest or back or arms or delt and you're not feeling it the next day, you're not like, oh, shit, I couldn't – do that body part again today, then you're doing something wrong. Or you're okay, recruiting so you're, you're, it's other not body just parts. Heavy weights. It's not just heavy weights. It's not heavy weights you've at all. No, no, quite quite the opposite. Um, I don't care about – I'm not impressed by heavy weights. Unless you're a powerlifter or a strongman, then obviously you lift as heavy, crazy shit you can. As a bodybuilder, um, I think you know, when people say, I'm going to have a, a, a high reps kind of light day, I don't care if the rep range if – you, if you're aiming for 20 – you shouldn't be able to do 22 or 23. You should be 18, 19, ah, Jesus, 20. Whether that's 6 or 20, you shouldn't have a whole lot left in the tank. So if you if you do 20 but you could really do 40, then you're not even training. So it's, it's almost not every set to failure, but every set to, you know, 90% of failure. So typically um, when I'm training really good, let's say you go back three years or I was really in a good groove and I had more time, and everything else, <clears throat> my rep range is around 15 to 20 always, but um, where um, I probably outlast everyone is how many sets I can do in one hour. So if I allocate one hour for training, I can do 40, 40 sets. 40 sets in an hour. Yeah, maybe more. Um, you know, And I do, uh, for example, when I'm really fit and in shape, I might do six exercises for chest, for example. And I haven't done bench pressing, I can't remember, 25, 30 years. So I might do a, a machine press, um, you know, where um, I've worked at the angles of a machine that's kind of suits. We might do six sets of 15 on that. <clears throat> then I might do a dumbbell press, and I might do dumbbell flies, and I might do pec deck, then I might do cables, and I might finish off with something simple like push ups. 
but set after set after set. And then sometimes <clears throat> I will do two exercises at once. I might do presses, flies, presses, flies, presses, flies, and only rest for – if I'm training with someone, which is not very often, only rest long enough for you to do your 12 or 15 reps. I'm literally pushing off the bench because I'm ready to go again. If I train on my own, I only have about – 30, 40 seconds between sets. And I've always been able to recover really fast and then just to go again and again. And I think that's how you get so much blood in your muscle and how you don't get injured because you're not you're not trying to lift something you can't lift to impress someone else. You're trying to get this mind-muscle connection and then get so much blood in the muscle that you absolutely, you know, pump it up. <laughs> well, Tony, um, that's, that's pretty much what I do. I, mine's a little bit different because I keep the sets low. And for me, I'm just training at the moment according to my environment. But, mate, listening to this is really educational. It should be for everyone. But the other thing that you're very particular about, because I've traveled with you, we've eaten together, we've stayed uh, in the same we rooms, we've done a lot of stuff together. I, I, you know, diet-wise, diet-wise, tell me something about that, what you think, how people should be eating, uh, because to me, when people just count calories, I'm thinking, well, if I could have chicken breast and it's just calories, you're not even worried about anything else. It's calories in, calories out. Well, I'd prefer birthday cake, you know, but it's not like that. Can you please explain to us a little bit about your theories of nutrition? And you Well, know? to me, John, if you want to look, you want to look like a bodybuilder, like you want to be – I always say to people, if you're competing, like you're really taking this on, you should be within, if you're a, a girl, three to five, and if you're a guy, five to ten kilograms of your stage look. <clears throat> it's not a get fat contest. I don't believe in all this bulking up for the sake of it, you know, unless they're really, really good gains where you still stay lean. But <clears throat> Okay, so what you're saying is you don't really okay, – okay, bulking up is just an excuse to get fat, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can't stand that- it. No, I hate this. I'm doing a bulking phase. And then you see someone with a big stomach or a big ass, and you're like, well, I can't tell what, whether you've made any gains or not because you've got so much fucking mud hanging off your body that now you have to diet it up before I can assess how you look. Yeah, but you right? can't so, expect them to stay in contest shape, though. You're talking no, about No, not contest lean, shape. Within, lean. For example, staying lean. So like, as, they're, as they're growing. Our right? goal, John, our goal as bodybuilders is to put on lean muscle mass, not you know, look like shit. Half the time, and when I was a kid bodybuilding, you know, the only mentality then was you do a contest, then you'd see how fat you could get basically, keep <laughs> it on for six months, and then died off. And I, I look back and I hated myself. I'm like, shit, I spent six months getting in shape, and then I blew it in one week. Why? Why didn't I just stay closer? So over the years, as I got better at it, I never really got out of shape, you know, unless, you know, life got in the way over the years. There's been a couple of times where, you know, um, <clears throat> with family and travel and stuff, I kind of lost my way a little bit, but when I'm when I've been on, it's always been stay close to good shape. And then back to your diet question, was it? We've got to work out what works for you. So, for example, when I was training those years with Sunny, um, I didn't have to go on a low carb diet. I'd find that when I really cut my carbs back, um, I'd just go flat and I couldn't train, couldn't get a pump, and I'd actually lose muscle. So I'd have basically chicken and rice every meal four or five times a day. And then at one stage, my metabolism was so fast back then, I'd, I'd throw some junk food in at least once a day and have a burger or some, some fries or something. Then as you get older, <laughs> you can't get away with that anymore. And I hate it because, you know, I, I used to love being able to do that and be able just to just eat all the time. But as you get older, then you've got to listen to your body and say, okay, well, what works What works well? And I've always found that, um, for me anyway, that, that a no-carb diet doesn't work, but a low-carb, high-protein kind of diet works well. And and just being honest with yourself because nutrition's everything. You know, whether you're on a weight loss journey or you want to be a bodybuilder or whatever else you can do. I always say to, uh, to, to fat guys with a big stomach and they're doing all these sit-ups. Okay, you can do a 1,000 sit-ups a day. We're not going to know. No one's going to give a fuck. It's when you change your diet, right, then we can see what those sit-ups have been doing. So you've got to get your diet right. Although I think nutrition is the most important part of any sport, bodybuilding, you know, just going to the gym, if you want to see results, it's, it's all about the food. So, so you've got to have nutrition, then you would agree, is 80% of yeah. the success. Of results, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, I look at you know powerlifters and strongmen um, that are incredibly strong and they train so hard. And some of these guys are animals. But if you look at them, you just think it's a fat guy walked out of the pub. You know, I mean, there's exceptions, but I've seen people who don't look like they work out because, you know, they can just eat anything. They, they just don't care how they look. And that's their sport. I respect that if, if that's your goal. But as far as we're talking this is about bodybuilding, then nutrition is the most important thing for you to understand. And you've got to work out what works for you. This is the problem now. People go on the internet and they download all these programs, all these diets and all these follow these YouTubers who may or may not even tell the truth when they preach what they're, what they're preaching because normally they're selling a course or a product or a new theory. You know, um, yeah, people, like for example, they always come up with a new word. We sound like old timers saying this, but for example, when people start saying, oh, you know, I've got to do my fasted cardio. I said, well, we always trained on uh, on an empty stomach in the morning. Is that the same thing? Because that always worked for me would be to get up and always just have a cup of coffee and go for my my morning walk or whatever and have something to eat and then try. And so they're always, you know, coming up with these new terms to kind of sell the latest secret, the latest course, but it hasn't changed in all time. Like high protein or moderately high protein, low carb diets work to put on lean muscle mass. Now, people say, well, you can have too much protein. Well, of course you can. I mean, if you have, you know, three kilograms of steak a day, one, it's going to be bad for your heart, but two, um, you, you know, it's you can't burn that many dense calories, even if you try. So you have to have a balance um, so that your digestive system's good and that you recover. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the next most important thing after nutrition is recovery. And always so said you can't recovery, overtrain. Recovery is yeah. very important, of course. Absolutely, and that comes from sleep and food, okay. right? So this is why you see people, right, they start getting in shape and they start going out, party, taking drugs, drinking, doing crazy things, and they lose the gains that they made because your body can't recover when you're in that, that kind of state. So it's, it's having a balance and a commitment to what you want to do. And I don't judge people who do it the fuck they want, but if you're serious about getting results in the gym and seeing results and looking good, then you've got to get all parts of it right, which is your training, your nutrition, and your recovery. Uh, Tony, the mental aspect, that's a big part, right? You've always been an extra positive person. You've even helped me stay on track. Whenever I came to you and had a complaint about something, all I'd hear back from you is, that's all the more reason why you should keep doing what you're doing. And it was just amazing, you know, uh, having you around. I, I don't think people realise uh, sometimes that the help you've given people and, um, you, you know, that mindset, I would say, is probably one of the most important things out there. Yeah, it is, John, and I appreciate you saying that. I remember, you know, later on in your career when I really got to know you and, and you know, you just needed someone to be honest with you. And I think... That's probably what I'm good at. I'm probably people find it a little blunt or a little this and that, but um, you have to be because you can't sugarcoat shit and you can't, you know, tell someone, "Oh, this is going to be easy." It's not. It's fucking hard. And and sometimes people compete, have this expectation. So I said earlier, winning is not everything. The journey is everything. And if you can't embrace and enjoy the journey, and shut up about it, like you know, I I, I, I can't stand it. And it. Particularly when people are competing, the first year or two. And they have to fucking tell everyone they're dieting and show everyone they're, they're a Tupperware turd, taking the fucking Tupperware everywhere and not enjoying themselves around their family. And, oh, I'm doing over and over um, for this validation. It's such a unique and individual sport and, and, and only you understand what you're going through, you know, and everyone around you wants you to win. But it's not about just getting first place every time. It's about getting better and having self-improvement. So I say to anyone, I'll say to anyone listening, if you're going to compete, all you need to do is this. Get a picture of yourself, the best picture you can from that performance, that stage shot, stick it up on the fridge and say, now I have to beat that guy or beat that girl, right? And then you get better. And then you replace that picture with the updated version and just keep doing that for fucking years and don't complain. Don't say, oh, this is hard. Yes, it's hard. But anything's hard. Like if you've got a passion for something um, and, and, and you attack it, then it's not hard because it's something you love. And bodybuilding is really unique. It's not for everyone. Some people think it's 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 good because oh shit, if I look like that, I'm going to be popular. I'm going to get the girls. I'm going to get the guys. I'm going to be, you know, um, uh, everyone's favourite person. I'm going to get all these followers and this and that. That's that's the wrong reason. 
you'll do it because you love it because it's it's so hard in the end that'll catch up with you and you just get it one day I can't do this anymore but if you accept that this is this is something that we choose in some cases it chooses us but <clears throat> I look over the years of the top professionals Mr Olympia winners and that and it's not always the people with the best genetics it's the people that've got you know reasonably good genetics that have got a work ethic and a mindset that, that's, that beats anyone. You know, sometimes when it comes too easy, then you just don't have the grit. And uh, I think uh, that's how I've been able to help people along the way, John, because I just tell them straight up, you know, stop being a bitch. You chose this, now fucking be good at it. Tony, you um, last time I spoke to you, we got something on film and those films had to disappear because of the people that I was working with. But I want you to repeat what Ronnie Coleman said to you about Chris Bumstead and how he felt that Chris had probably the best body he's ever seen and how the switch now is the focus is now on classic bodybuilding more so than what it's ever been. Do you remember? Well, I think, um, yeah, I think Ronnie said on, uh, it was online, I saw it, you know, that he said that, um, he probably had the best body he'd ever seen. He thought that Chris Bumstead had a fantastic physique. I can't remember exactly, but it was his favourite bodybuilder. It was the best body he'd seen in a long time or ever. And I think that it's not just classic bodybuilding um, <clears throat> that's become popular. I think it's the Bumstead factor. In fact, I interviewed him after the last Olympia, and he came off stage and I go, dude, you were first, second and third. That was the Chris Bumstead show. And he stopped me. He goes, no, no, no. It's a classic bodybuilding show. I'm just the guy that's winning at the moment and trying to draw. But his popularity, like John, at the Olympia last year, I was doing the interviews. Um, at, it was at Planet, Planet Hollywood. And I was doing the interviews there, and I was catching them as they come off stage to get their raw emotion, whether they hadn't got a good call out or they had. And I got him as soon as he walked off. I think it's been viewed a million times or something, and trying to capture his raw emotion. And I said, when you stepped out, and it was the biggest crowd of the whole weekend. I remember the pre-judging was in the expo, and it was like 10,000 people had crowded every gap, like between the aisles, back 100 metres, as far as you could see, to see Chris Bumstead walk out. And, of course, he's on last because he's the current champion. There was, was either 60 or 62 people qualified for classic bodybuilding at the Olympia. Wow. And... Of course, they've waited through 60 individual routines for Bumstead to walk out. And when he walked out, man, the place literally exploded. I don't think I've seen, even in Ronnie's heyday, I don't think I've seen any reaction to any show like that. And they're the younger people and the people that have found, um, you know, that follow Chris Bumstead. It's incredible. He's got, I don't know now, over 10 million followers or something. And, and he's brought people into the sport. Like I get young kids coming to the gym. And they work out, you know, someone in bodybuilding or whatever. Now, don't ask me if I know Phil Heath or Ronnie Coleman or even Arnold. They go, oh, you've met Chris Bumstead. And they all know who he is. My kids know who Chris Bumstead is. I mean, he's he's created this brand for himself, which I think has uh, gone beyond uh, classic bodybuilding, gone beyond bodybuilding, but it's made fitness and muscles and being lean um, – Really, really popular. And I think it's because he, he's really vulnerable. And, you know, um, I think he keeps it real and doesn't pretend that, pardon me, that, that you know, it, it's hard to do what he does. And he's not – so when I first interviewed Chris when he first came out, so good point, but I do all the interviews for NPC News Online. I have since uh, 2010 or 11 or something, every Olympia, except for the pandemic, little gap there where I was forced to stay home. But I've interviewed everyone, literally everyone in the sport, old-timers, new-timers, current champions. You know, I've had to pick up people that have maybe thought they won or should have won and force them to do an interview like, you know, Kai Green and Phil when they're having those battles and I'd have to interview them both straight after the show. And, I, you know, I get to, I've looked at like a lot about the mindset of athletes. But, you know, um, Bumstead, man, he just – He's just another level. And at first, when I interviewed him, that's what I was going to say, I didn't really like him. I thought, oh, this guy's a little bit arrogant or a little bit – he's hard to get a conversation. What I didn't realise, I guess, until the last year or two, he's actually an introvert. So he's had to practice being this kind of speaker and he, he accepted he's a little bit goofy at it. 
and and his vulnerabilities when you interview him is what makes people love him because he's not a smart ass man he's not um he's he's very real and i think that's why his following and his popularity has gone through the roof it's not just his body obviously but it's the whole way his stick of how he presents his brand if you like um it's really, I, I think it's he's incredible he's really like that that's yeah he really is yeah yeah and he's funny He's Canadian, we're Australians, so he's kind of got that little dry wit going on and, and uh, he can hang shit on himself. And, you know, for example, he's got a, a lisp. And instead of, like, denying it or trying to coach himself out of it, he's, he's leaned right into it. So his pre-workout is called Fabbage with a TH. Okay. okay. Right? This is, this is the genius of the guy. He goes, I'll just go with it. People love it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I've become uh, quite a fan of Bumstead, not the physique, but the character. I think he's he's been so good for our sport. And I think that's what, you know, the the, the people, um, the officials from the top down and all the other athletes love about him. He's made bo- bodybuilding popular again, like like Arnold style. Well, thank God for Chris Bumstead. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but he's, he's dragging everyone along for the ride. It's not – this is the incredible thing. Like when I said – Many of you say, that was the Chris Bumstead show. He's like, no, no, don't say that. He goes, I'm just a part of this. And he's bringing everyone along for the ride. And that's that's why I think I started to really dig him. I'm like, you know, he could have been a real dick. In fact, I was probably testing him when I said that to see how he'd react. Because I think when I'm interviewing, you've got to think super fast. You can't plan it. I never know what questions I'm going to ask anyone. I just go raw and then kind of read, try and read the temperature in the middle of the interviews to see which way we're going to go. And it was very much that with him. Um, did you think, shit, he's just walked off stage. I'm in his face. Somehow I've got to engage him and get him going. And it was, it was actually uh, of the literally thousands of interviews I've, I've done, and I've forgotten more than I've remembered. Um, that's one I'll, I'll never forget. So, Tony, now tell me, um, you, you know, you've, you've got a whole bunch of gyms. I don't know how far you've gotten with that at one stage. You had gyms everywhere, and I'm I'm not even sure what's going on with that anymore because there's so much more to you than um, than just the gyms. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I probably started opening too many and getting you know, partners involved that weren't great partners. This and that, so I actually reined it back a little bit, and then you know COVID hit and everything else. Yeah. So now I've just got the three in Melbourne, which is Brunswick, the headquarters, the OG or the, the Australian mecca, you know. Um, uh, which is a destination point for anyone seriously uh, serious about sport or bodybuilding. Then we've got the one um, which is in our iconic location in Flinders Street, right in the city. Yep. So it's right in downtown. It's in the old railway tunnels. And, you know, if you're visiting Melbourne and you're staying in the city, that's where you end up. Then we've got one out in Dandenong, which is 40 or 50 k's southeast, um, a real working-class kind of suburb, yep. but a great kind of hardcore gym if you like it's got you know the 400 pound weight stacks and a lot of new and old equipment but um uh, you know it's just a great gym great members and then we've got one over in perth which is like a little mini brunswick and uh, the guys over there are doing a great job with it um so rather than just keep opening gyms i just wanted to really uh just stick to what we are as a brand which is kind of more of a a real gym for real people. We're not mainstream. We're not for everyone. But we're not a bodybuilding gym either. Just we so have a lot of bodybuilders. You're, you're, you're saying that you're not just a bodybuilding gym. It's for the general. No, I mean we, the the perception is that. But you know, ninety percent of our members are, are locals that live within five kilometres, like any other gym. And you know, the beauty of this place is, John, we've created a home away from home. You know, we've, I've always said we will get the five percent of people that no one else wants. So we get the locals and just all the misfits, if you like. And we make everyone welcome. Yeah, I've got a really, really straight-up rule. I don't care who you are. Leave your hat at the door. Be nice to people. Put your weights away. So no one leaves weights out at the gym. To this day, I'll, if I find weights on a back machine or a leg press, I sit there and go through the, the video and I find the person and I go and let them know that it's not acceptable. And I'm nice once and then, you know, they get an ultimatum because I want people to walk in and everyone to respect each other. So if you leave your weights out, that's a fuck you to every other member because you think you're more important. So if pro bodybuilders can come here, for example, Josh Zanardowitz or a football uh, champion, Anthony Kudafidis, or a celebrity who comes here, puts their weights away, then why would this medium up-and-coming guy walking, strutting around, be able to leave 
their weights out. I won't put up with it. And I think people love that about our brand. It's it's we're here for everyone. Everyone's welcome. So then the currency, Don't be a dick. The currency is respect. Absolutely. Currencies leave your fucking hat at the door. You're not special. And neither am I. I don't walk around like, hey, I'm the gym owner. In fact, this people would have no clue who the fuck I am. You know, and I put my weights away and I'm always, you know, I'm still emptying bins and mopping floors. And I think I've always had this saying that don't um, expect or ask someone to do what you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. So I always try and lead from the front. In fact, I was, uh, yesterday there was a, a sewage block and I had to go to my mate's mother's funeral. I was just about to put my suit on and I went in with a plunger and a pump and everything else to try and unblock a drain, went to the funeral, come back put my dirty work clothes back on and attacked it some more. And that's that's what you have to do. If you're if you're a leader, right, don't don't just point the finger or, you know, say, oh, you can do that because I'm paying you. No, no. Show them how it's done and they, they'll follow and they'll learn from that and then they'll try and be like you. Well, Tony, look, um, the one thing I must say, coming to your shows, um, I'm not sure what happened or why it happened this way, but I'm actually starting to enjoy them again, and I'm able to spend the whole day there. I'm not sure what it is. Um, you, you know, it's like... It's our energy and, it's, it's our energy and enthusiasm, and, and John, because I, what I tried to do, I might be able to answer this for you, yeah, yeah. is to turn it into pure bodybuilding entertainment. But people are coming to watch a fucking show. Not to watch this disorganised fucking mess and sit around at wedding tables and have twenty minute breaks in between competitors and send them on and off. We run it like like a, a Broadway production. We really do. I have you know, multiple people backstage. We have bollards and setups and the the infrastructure backstage. So that what you see on stage is incredible. This has been my aim, John. Mate, so this makes thing, me really happy. The one thing I did see. I told you I was coming up to Queensland because I mistimed your Melbourne shows. And when I walked in, you were on stage talking and and, and I could see with the corner of your eye you saw me. And then afterwards you actually said to me and you got there on time. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm glad he's appreciating because I I appreciate so much coming to those shows and actually – able to sit there and just just enjoy, you know, you, you come up and say things in between your breaks on stage and, um, you know, it's, re- it's reigniting that mateship that we had years ago. And, yeah, uh, mate, and, you know, you know it's so enjoyable for me. I, I'm, I'm not even sure I, I could use the words to describe it, Tony. Well, you know, when, when you came to the Sydney show, and I saw you stay all day and saw you sitting there just clapping and cheering and just just being in the moment and enjoying it so much. That made me really happy. And that's why I made sure we acknowledged you on stage and said you're going to come up to Queensland. And, you know, I, I come up at one stage and we're talking about the guy that won the classic physique. And, and I'm like, John, you're going to love this guy. And we, it was like going back in time, us talking bodybuilding. And my bodybuilding mates, we still just call bodybuilding. You know, we're going to – I just see this or – yeah, I've got a couple of guys here at the gym and we're bodybuilding nuts and that never changes. But my enthusiasm and passion to be the best MC and the best promoter and, and to, to, to make sure people enjoy what we produce is, is, is like I aim really high. And the reason is, John, people come along to support someone doing their first or second contest, right? And they don't know what they're in for. Because it's going to be weird. These people shave their legs and wear trunks. Their families and friends of people who aren't even really bodybuilders just yet, they're just putting a foot in the water. And I remember a few years, people would go to some of the other federations, well, all of the other federations, like, oh, God, it went till midnight and it's so disorganized. And I'd hear that. And I'd, I'd go, okay, I want to run my shows on time. I'll get up at the start of the show and I'll say, hey, we're going to be done by six o'clock, right? Whether there's 200 or 300 competitors. We're starting at 10. We're finishing at 6. Book a table in a restaurant. I won't let you down. Then I push everyone. Sometimes I have to redline everyone to deliver on that promise. And I want the audience to walk out of there wanting more. Go, oh, I didn't want it to end. It was so so much fun and so entertaining, the lights and the music and the sound and the coordination and that inappropriate guy on stage just saying, shoot, shoot, shoot. So, you know, part entertainer, a little bit comedian, a little bit um, MC, but also a ringmaster. Right, making sure that everyone's playing their role and making sure that the audience are just having the fucking best day of their life. So that's that's why it makes me happy to hear that from you because 
you come along not knowing what to expect, and you're just sitting there shaking your head. <laughs> Mate, the, the one one thing that I there's a lot of things that you've said that have stuck with me for years. One of the best ones you've said is when you're dealing with people that need to pull their socks up. Do they even have socks? That's that's one thing you said to me. And that yeah. that has helped me greatly, Tony, because believe it or not, um, you come across a lot of individuals, you start dealing with them and you're going, well, what's going to happen next with this guy? Like Tony said, does this guy even have socks? You know? I, think, I think the saying was, John, you can't help people pull up their socks when they're not wearing any. You know, And we want to help everyone and we want to... But you, you've got to be careful where you invest your time. You know, if someone doesn't get it or they're not grateful or they think they know more than you, then you can be just be time-wasting it. I've learned, you know, especially um, the years travelling with Arnold and, and being on the road so much and coming back to work and just trying to balance everything, that time's precious and I, don't, I haven't got any time to waste. Therefore, if someone's a time thief, I, I just walk away, bro. I can't, I can't do that. Tony, Tony, what I want you to tell me now is what's coming up next. I know you've, I, I, I know you've, you've got something. I know there's going to be something, and it may not mean much to you, but you know, I think you'd be surprised how much respect people do have for you. And also, you know, I've noticed there's a lot of people that have respect for me. Um, I, you know, I, I actually also want to know myself what have you got coming up next that we can look forward to tony whether it's competing uh gym travel whatever it is ah oh, man it's just like it's, it's non-stop I, it's, I don't even stop and plan it's just like there's so much going on but um look immediately um i haven't announced it yet but i'll put the dates up uh maybe today maybe early next week i'm going to do a tour in july um similar remember you came to the posing clinic in sydney and I did like the seminar and then we went into a posing workshop. So I'm going to do free seminars in every state um, around Australia in July, starting in Perth, then Adelaide, Melbourne, then Sydney, then Queensland. And um, basically I'll do an hour of me telling stories, bodybuilding stuff, and just generally just my entertaining no-nonsense thing. And, and what I want to do is get the coaches to come along because sometimes – yeah, they get online, they mouth off, and they don't think we know what's going on with the direction of the sport and the judging and this and that. So I invite them to come along, and no question is off limits. You know, if you come to the seminar, come armed and, you know, ask me anything. Um, uh, uh, that way we can educate people um, in going in the right direction, especially, you know, people coming into the sport and, and coaches new or old, so that we can say, look, we do know what we're doing. Try and listen so that you can be better at your craft as we're trying to be better at ours. And then we do a free posing workshop where we concentrate on the mandatories and the compulsory poses so people, you know, if they get themselves in shape that they, you know, know how to present it. So that's in July. And then uh, late September through October, we've got season B, um, finishing with a pro qualifier once again in Queensland. Um, and then I'll be straight off to the Olympia. I know a lot of Aussies want to go and do the Amateur Olympia. It's in Orlando this year with the, the Mr. Olympia. I'll go over there and do the, the interviews for all the categories backstage as I do um, and maybe some other commentary work at the Olympia. We'll wait and see. I'll announce that in due course. Um, and then we'll be straight away planning Season A next year. And, you know, in 2024, I want to try and bring back some pro bodybuilding to Australia. You know, I look back and I think, you know, my happiest days when we just did the Australian Pro. Man, I loved it. You know, bringing in... Um, the guys from around the world and giving the Aussies a chance to to, to perform on that pro platform in their, their home country. So we're working on some dates and times and divisions with that. And uh, just just keep on rolling, man. And just, as I said, just I've got a few things in the works, um, as always, waiting for that phone call, waiting for that opportunity to come. So I'm continually trying to improve myself as a speaker and as a human and with some media stuff I'm doing. Um, you know, like through COVID, um, I kind of became the spokesperson for the fitness industry on Sky News on 9, 7, 10, um, all the morning shows, uh, talkback radio and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I think back to all the media training from doing Arnold's press conferences around the world made me know how to uh, to be articulate and professional and polite and respectful, but to get our message across. 
So I want to do some more stuff in that space and uh, and just keep coming to the gym every day, try and get back in shape again. <laughs> That's fantastic, mate. Tony, um, we usually end with me asking you if there's anybody you want to thank, sponsors, people, um, family, friends, whatever. Um, I would have. We can continue talking, and to be quite honest, I'm not happy with the questions that I asked you today because I don't know if you saw me. I'm trying to click here to capture sound bites from you. Where no, uh, what the fuck? You're, you're, I don't know. I just thought you were on one. What are you? What are you doing, John? <laughs> no, just just so we can use sound bites because they seem to work yeah. really well. Other than a whole podcast, at some stage I'd like to do another one with you where I'm not playing with these buttons and really get into the heart of it. I, I'd like to think that this is a practice one and we want to put it out there. So if there's anybody that you did want to thank, um, list, list. Um, look, I, I think the people I need to thank, I do thank continuously. Yeah, you know, my staff and the people in my team, my family and friends and everyone that's got my back. I tell them I love them every day, man. I, I, I thank them all the time. So I guess on this platform, I just want to thank the athletes and fans and helpers and everyone sponsors, everyone involved in bodybuilding, that has supported what I'm doing by showing up. You know, that's the best thing you guys can do is to come and see the shows. In the last two seasons, I've seen more and more, I guess, fans developing where they're coming to a show because it's one of our productions to go, oh, I don't know anyone in it, but I'm just going to go any, anyway. And we've had sellout shows in every state. And I, I just want to thank everyone for supporting our, our vision and our dream and our passion. Because if you don't know it yet, I love bodybuilding, John. It's given oh, me everything it's, it's so I've got. Um, and, and to people out there that don't know me, I'm very approachable. If I will say I look intimidating, come and say hi. You know, I never um, uh, knock anyone back for a chat or a photo or a little word of advice or a pat on the back. So, you know, if you run into me anywhere, please, um, if you're watching this, you just want to come and say, hey, just come up and say hey. And uh, I just want to just, just thank everyone, man. On Sunday, I'm going to be down in Melbourne to interview Emmanuel, who uh, trains at your gym. Uh, we did this today because on Sunday there's probably not going to be enough time. Um, so I'll, I'll well, let's try and there. catch up for let's try and catch up for a coffee, John. It'd be nice to see you. Um, right. We're going to wind this up because I've got people yep. lined up outside the door yep. now. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm hidden away in my office, and I can right. hear them trying to undo the door. <laughs> okay. Well. All great, mate. It's it's been an absolute pleasure, Tony. Thank you for giving me the time to do this. I I, I couldn't thank you enough, and and I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you about this sort of stuff and come to your shows. So that's that's my finishing line, and um, all the best with everything, Tony. Uh, let's stay in touch, and I'll probably see you on Sunday if we can catch up for a coffee. Let's do that, and thank you, anyone watching and listening, and uh, you know, just keep being the best you that you can be. We're out. Thank you, brother.